your life. If you're a forward-thinking donor who wants future generations to benefit from KPFK's independent journalism and unhindered creativity, then join KPFK's Legacy Circle and include KPFK in your will or living trust. For details, visit our website at kpfk.org and thank you for considering KPFK in your future gift-giving plans. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Good evening, I'm Angela Birdsong. And today is the first day of summer, yes. And we are in our fund drive, our membership drive that allows you to vote in the upcoming elections that might determine the future of KPFK. And we are still offering our our Voices That Change the World Premium USB flash drive that has about 13 hours uh, 1300 hours of historical speeches and revolutionaries, visionaries and activists who work for the betterment of this country, the world, my city, my life, compiled by Pacifica Radio Archives, now available for the very first time on a single USB stick, 64 gigabytes. And you can donate at kpfk.org. And if you just want to become um, a member and have the right to vote in our elections, then you just need to give at least $20 donation. That would give you that right to do that. Okay, well, here are today's headlines. From Jose Weizar to Mark Ridley Thomas to now Curran Price, another Los Angeles politician bites the dust. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his political terror campaign against blacks, trans, immigrants, and trade unionists. The British Parliament pushes a bill aiming to ban boycotts of Israeli products in support of Palestinian rights. Realignment process in Latin America and the Caribbean and the community calendar. All this and more coming up. Knock LA reports that it was only a matter of time until a far-right politician transported migrant workers to Los Angeles, transporting immigrants, including children as young as two years old, across state lines, is used as a common right-wing protest against Biden's so-called open border policy. On Wednesday, June 14th, Texas Governor Greg Abbott bussed 42 migrants, mainly from Venezuela, Honduras, and Guatemala, from Texas to Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. The group was on the bus for 23 hours without food or drinks. The Coalition for Human Immigrant Rights, Chirla, received a tip the night before regarding Abbott's plans. Chirla and other organizations helped move the group to St. Anthony's Croatian Catholic Church in Chinatown on Wednesday and provided them with food and other resources. Mayor Karen Bass released a statement calling Abbott's actions abhorrent and saying the city is prepared to work closely with nonprofits to ensure the migrants' well-being. Organizations are hoping Bass follows through on that promise. In other L.A.-related news, on Tuesday, June 13th, Los Angeles Councilmember Curran Price of Council District 9 is charged with multiple counts of embezzlement, perjury, and conflict of interest. Price stepped down as Council President Pro Tempore, as well as all committee assignments. Pedro Baez talks with Los Angeles civil rights leader after a press conference with the Los Angeles Urban Policy Roundtable, who were making demands in regards to Council Curran Price's seat. Here is Pedro. A group of Los Angeles civil rights leaders went to the streets to demand that L.A. City hold a special election, that the city council should not be empowered to go ahead and name a successor. Um, One of those people 
involved with this uh, particular issue is Dwayne Riot, member of the retired black city employees of Los Angeles. Dwayne, tell me why it's important that a special election be held. Well, Pedro, I, I think it's important because um, I think the people in the 9th District deserve to have true representation. And unfortunately, what happens is that when these things occur, the, the open seat gets politicized. Uh, people jockey to, to get the person of their choice uh, to, to, to hold the seat, even on a temporary basis. But quite often, those individuals have their own political ambitions and desire to run. And so what you have is that you have uh, the office been politicized, uh, people are put in who want an upper hand or an advantage and to run and thusly the people of the district, the ninth district, aren't, uh, are, aren't afforded the opportunity to, to uh, elect someone of their choice. Well, I agree that uh, representation should also uh, be by the people not by somebody making political appointments because the people haven't spoken and they're just basically uh, told, okay, here's good, here's your new council member. Well, that's right. <laughs> and obviously to shove it down their throats, that's not the way to do things, especially in a city like Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's right. I think one good example, one recent example was the uh, with Mark Ridley Thomas. I mean, it's... Uh... You know, they had a point Western, a uh, former city council person in the seat. Great uproar in the part of the community. Uh, he had to step down. They appointed someone else. And, uh, you know, and so forth. I, so I think that uh, certainly uh, that's not the only example, but that certainly does make the point. Uh, do you think that this is basically something that's being targeted only on black political officials? No, I don't. No, I don't. I think, I think one of the problems that we have is that we have too many, including black political officials, beholden to external sources of the district. And unfortunately, too many of them are serving those, ex those, those donors, as it were, uh, more so than their constituent base. And I think we're beginning to, that's beginning to, to appear, to manifest itself by these, uh, you know, by these uh, indictments. But it's not just African Americans. I mean, look at the city. Reza just got indicted recently, and 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 and, and uh, certainly Englander uh, was indicted. Uh, so it's not just African Americans. I think it's just think it's a problem certainly within LA City of, of sources out, outside of districts as donors or the, the groups that too many of these council people are whose interests these council uh, individuals are serving. We've been speaking with Dwayne Wyatt, who is a member of the retired black employees of the city of Los Angeles. For the Rebel Alliance News and KPFK, I'm Pedro Baez. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has launched a political terror against blacks, trans, immigrants, and trade unionists. He is also pushing a reactionary House Bill 999, which ends academic freedom in the state's public colleges and universities and ethnic studies. When students and workers protested this bill at University of South Florida, five were attacked and arrested by the police, and they have a defense campaign called the Tampa Five. Here is Chrisley Carpio who is with the Tampa Bay SDS and a member of ASME 3342 at the university. They will be having a conference on June 24th, linking up many of the struggle in Florida. Now to the interview. We have been in a campaign to get some charges on ourselves dropped um, because of some repression we experienced um, at our March 6th protest with Students for a Democratic Society. What was the march about, the rally on March the 6th? We were protesting the DeSantis bill, House Bill 999. Um, our demands were actually to get a meeting with the president, right, the university president, because how bold of us to think that by paying and, you know, uh, paying tuition and going to school there and working there that we had a say in, in the school affairs, you know, so that was our main aim was just to get this meeting um, to discuss our well, demands. What is, what is HB 99? Yes. So it is a bill that 
um, looks to overhaul and attack higher education. So the 28 community colleges and then the 11 universities across Florida to ban women and gender studies, um, to ban any kind of race-based education, to ban multicultural groups that are based on like a racial identity, students or faculty run from getting any kind of university funding. And it also gives the universities the ability to revoke tenure from professors at any time. So we viewed it as a huge attack on our education. And they argue that, well, they want to cleanse the university. They have an ideological. Some of them say they like they like to uh, the Confederacy, the good things about the Confederacy. Are they trying to go back? Yeah, I think absolutely. They're trying to wipe out any kind of um, you know, discussion of the struggles that, you know, Black people have experienced in the United States, um, that women have experienced trying to, you know, get their rights, like any kind of social movements, they want to wipe that out of um, our education system. Um, and, you know, they're even going so far as to ban diversity programs so that, you know, our, our original campaign was actually to increase Black enrollment at USF. And now with the diversity program, being essentially shut down by the bill, like they actually stopped searching for kind of new leaders for the diversity program at USF, um, that is going to be impossible, right? So they're looking to undo things that people won in like the 1960s and 70s. And the uh, population of Blacks or Haitians are large number of Blacks in Florida. Uh, what's the percentage in the colleges in Florida? Yeah, um, really, really low, very low. Um, so, for example, in the Tampa Bay area, um, around 25% of the population is actually African-American. Um, but at USF, the uh, population of Black students um, is just about 9% and going down each year. And the university actually lies and tries to like fudge the numbers to say like, oh no, there's no issue. Actually, it's going up. But it, it's just objectively true that it goes down um, and does not anywhere near reflect the population of, um, of the, the city itself. And the struggle for ethnic studies, I was involved in it actually at San Francisco State. Uh, we had a six nice. strike. Uh, to support yeah. the formation of ethnic studies and open admissions, free admissions to uh, the college for working class students. Uh, it seems like the gains that have been made, they want to push those back and they yeah. don't want any real struggle against systemic racism in the mm -hmm. education system. Is that right? The case? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that it took a lot of struggle to win those things in the first place. And now that, um, you know, they, um, think that they have an advantage having, you know, like a trifecta in the state of Florida, having like a governor who's like, um, you know, overreaching. They think that now the time is right to roll these things back and they're going to act as if no one is going to oppose them. But I think they're finding in practice that that's totally wrong and they can actually politicize the whole state against them if they keep attacking us. <laughs> and one of the things that I, I know is that the membership of unions teachers are going up because this attack on, on unions is yeah. with the attack that you face and you're a union member. So you had a rally there and they attacked you. And what was the response of the labor movement to that in, in Tampa? Yeah, they, you know, because it was me as a worker and then four students um, and a few have actually graduated and one had graduated in the winter, actually. Um, and the university's response was to um, put me on paid administrative leave the next day and um, basically trying to prepare to fire me. And they were actually trying to say, you can't talk to any USF employees about this. So trying to scare me away from talking to my steward. But I have a federal and state right to talk to my steward. USF employees about it. And, you know, it was just like, if I were like less conscious of being, you know, like a union worker, I might have listened to them, but I didn't. Um, and the union had my back, you know, my president was like, okay, I'm going to be on all of these calls. We'll represent you. Um, they spoke to the press, you know, there's a Tampa Bay Times article that's actually specifically just about kind of what was happening to me as a worker. And then we produced um, a sign-on letter for um, union members to sign because um, it was clear that the university was trying to terminate me like off the bat like they were skipping any kind of progressive discipline they were violating the union contract um you know like 
you don't have the ability to terminate someone right off the bat for anything other than theft or conviction of a felony and misdemeanor. And I have not been convicted despite the charges they're putting. You know, they're acting as if I'm guilty when really they're the ones who sick the cops on us. So we were able to get um, 200 plus signatures on that sign-on letter and we sent it to the administration. They fired me anyway. Um, And then recently um, we've actually attended the Central Labor Council meeting. We actually had a really warm reception from the um, union workers there. We told our story. People registered for the conference that we're having in a week. Um, Postal workers, like operator engineers, like um, telecommunications workers. Um, And now we actually are going to have some speakers even from different labor unions at our conference next week. So hopefully people kind of see that what's happening to us doesn't just stop at at what's happening to us. It'll happen to any worker, too, who, um, you know, dares to protest. This issue of uh, democratic rights um, and the the racist campaign that's going on in this country is a working class issue uh, because, I mean, Mm -hmm. the history of the United States is one of trying to pit blacks against whites, blame Asians. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, there's a long history in the United States of Mm -hmm. uh, the owners, the capitalists, basically pitting worker against worker because race, nationality, religion. Is mm-hmm. that what there's a concern of in Florida that they'll, that, that that's mm-hmm. the idea is to weaken the entire labor movement, pit worker against worker? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's not an accident that at the same time as they're trying to ban Black history from being taught in schools, they're also, um, you know, passing and they successfully passed this anti-union bill, Senate Bill 256, that actually decertifies all public sector unions across the state of Florida with less than a 60 percent membership. Right. So, um, you know, looking if if. In my particular local, if we don't get like over a thousand kind of new members, which that is like a huge leap, like, you know, it's kind of going to be really tough to do that in a right to work state like Florida. Um, If we don't have that by October, um, the union will be decertified. Right. And it's majority African-American. Right. Like um, bus drivers, like clerical workers, like that's just, you know, who, you know is like working at the university um, and is, is, you know, is a union person. So, yeah, I think that, you know, it's not an accident that these attacks are coming at the same time. The idea of decertifying unions, union busting. Yeah. It seems that uh, this right wing movement is aimed at destroying the labor movement, which is an organized force Uh of workers and to fight racism and and discrimination. Absolutely. It's meant to um, kind of make us just, you know, like if we're too busy just trying to even like keep our jobs or like stay on the defense or worrying about like, okay, well, I don't know if I'll have health care like at this workplace, like, you know, like, why would I stay enjoying union? I'm just going to go try to find a better job, like in the private sector, you know, so they're trying to like push people out um, of the workplace, essentially, except to the folks who like um, be, you know, work for like, the, the, the least pay, right? So trying to use these tactics and essentially make us unable to fight because having a union means that you can stand up to management without getting fired right away. It means that you have job security and, you know, you'll get paid what you need to as long as you work, you know, like you've got kind of these basic protections. So, you know, you have something to, to fight to keep. You have these workers who you already know and can organize and kind of do actions with. So if they take those things away, um, it'll be a huge, it'll be a huge setback. Seems like this is not just a Florida issue. Yeah. It's a national working class issue uh, yes. to defend our brothers and sisters in, in the South, uh, yeah. in Texas and Florida, mm-hmm. because there's a concerted organized attack to bust the unions. Is that what's really going on? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, You know, the first major attack on public sector unions in Florida wasn't even just this bill, but was the Supreme Court ruling Janus versus AFSCME, right? Um, Which, um, you know, like, uh, basically, you know, enables and opens the doors for public sector unions to be like treated like they're all like right to work, basically, right? Like, like people don't have to pay like dues or like certain kinds of payments to the union, they, they can opt out. And now all these unions had to have like, you know, these drives to try to keep their membership. So that was a really big deal. Um, and the things that are happening in Florida are spreading across the whole country, right? So, you know, there's copycat bills of House Bill 999 already in like Ohio, Texas already had one that passed as well, um, Oklahoma, South Carolina. Um, so there's that. And then there's the simple fact that DeSantis is running for president. <laughs> 
So <laughs> this is not, you know, very soon, this is not really going to be just a Florida issue. Um, he'll be like going on a speaking tour around the country trying to spread these ideas. So. And social media, how are you and others using social media, TikTok to get your stories out? Yes. So um, it's been really important, I think, you know, as with any kind of tool you can use in organizing to, to, you know, educate people and put a message out there. One of the things that helped us a lot was people got a lot of video footage of what happened at our protest, right? Um, so people could actually see clearly in the videos the moment that the police chief instigated everything and grabbed a student and like pushed her against the wall and, you know, like, um, so you and, you know, all the things that the police did, like putting students in chokeholds and stuff. We got a lot of that on video. We were able to um, put it up like right away. There's actually a TikTok that went viral and got, last time I checked, it had 6 million views. And what can people do who want to support your struggle, free you and drop the charges and, and build support for you and other young people, students, unionists in Florida? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question. So um, on June 24th, this coming Saturday, if you are in the state of Florida or if you can travel, we're having a conference to say um, drop the charges on the Tampa Five, but also um, defend civil liberties in the era of DeSantis. The people can find, um, for instance, if you go to Instagram.com slash Tampa Bay SDS, you'll see the flyer for the conference. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we have our second court appearance on July 12th, and we're um, going to call for protests on that day. And so is the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. So, you know, if you have the ability to find a protest near you, whether it's on campus with SDS or in the community, um, please come out to say drop the charges. Or host your own action, too. We would love that and, you know, promote whatever folks are doing. And this yeah. is a struggle for all working people, all students, the future of the people of this country and the world. So thanks for joining us. Welcome to the KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Hey, this is Wanda Sykes, and you're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. And if you'd like to shell out a few bucks, you know, keep us up and running so I can have nice conversation in a cool voice like this. Pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Thank you. I'm Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. And yes, Wanda Sykes, listen to her. Become a sustainer, giving you consistency in your membership with us. You don't have to think about, oh, or has my have I outdone my deadline for being a voting member? Has that time passed? So just go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online or call 818-985-5735 and press number two. And don't forget, we have Voices That Change the World, a USB flash drive full of Pacifica archive goodness, over 1,000 hours of historical speeches and revolutionaries, visionaries, um, people who do the type of work that is always needed, right? And there's about 11 categories describing this extraordinary premium. And one of them is 65 years, 65 voices. Each recording in this compilation was chosen for, for the Pacifica's 65th anniversary because it uniquely exemplifies the Pacifica sound. The result is a well-rounded rich tapestry of the history of Pacifica Radio through the voices of Langston Hughes, um, Elsa Knight-Thompson, Jessica Mitford, Dylan Thomas, Lena Horne, plus dozens more. And another one is Straight from the Vault with over 500 one-hour radio documentaries. This premium for $250 will only, will only grow in value, so you should want to get it now and support your station that you're listening to right now. So go to kpfk.org and pledge online. Or once again, call 818-985-5735 to receive the voices that changed the world. And now for some international news. 
the realignment process is well underway in Latin America and the Caribbean, and a few new areas of cooperation are being explored by the governments in the region. Don DeBar has more. A number of regional and global developments in the economic sphere with major implications for Latin America and the Caribbean. For more on that, we go to Esteli, Nicaragua, to speak with journalist Stephen Sefton. Stephen, why don't you fill us in on some of this? Well, there have been a couple of very important international forums and conferences in this month of June that are also important in, in the overall context of the international realignment of interests and of influence around the world. And Latin America is, is obviously a crucial part of that. Um, one of the conferences that took place was the ninth China, Latin America and the Caribbean conference on uh, infrastructure, which is part of the quite complex um, structure of relationships between China and CELAC. CELAC is the community of Latin American and Caribbean nations. And those were established many years ago, around 2013, 2014, I think, that that structure has actually been working. It includes various components of so technology, infrastructure, education, medicine. And this infrastructure conference uh, was the ninth such conference. And it was very important in particular in the current moment because we've just had this visit by um, Ursula van der Leyen, the president of the European Union. She visited Brazil, Argentina and Chile and had a last minute addition to her program, which was a visit to Mexico. During that visit, Ursula van der Leyen was making a, a, a pitch for how the European Union is going to work with uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, um, implementing a, a uh, a part of its global program that they call their global gateway program. And as part of that global gateway program, they're, they're proposing to invest 10,000 million, 10 billion US dollars in um, Latin America in um, uh, areas like uh, in, of, of environmental concern um, and developing joint projects. For example, they talked about a joint hydrogen developing development project, um, projects to do with uh, developing infrastructure for processing lithium. And this is all part of the European Union's programme to, um, to, to green their, 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 their overall economy. But when you look at that in terms in relation to especially in relation to this, this most recent China-Latin America infrastructure project. What you're, what, you're, what you're looking at is that since 2012, uh, up until 2021 is, is the figure, the latest figure that I have, China invested something like $160 billion in, in mainly in infrastructure. And that's on top of, that's in addition to its, um, uh, it, its commercial relationship with Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, and here you have um, eight years after the last summit between the European Union and um, uh, CELAC, the Latin American uh, Community of States. Eight, eight years after that summit, you have uh, Ursula van der Leyen turning up and offering uh, Latin America $10 billion. And it's, it's, it would be almost comical if it weren't so pathetic. Um, and so, so, so... And what are they? And, and if you look at it, uh, they talk about Euro the European Union is still talking in neo-colonial terms, essentially, because what they're saying to Latin America is that we have the technical and technological expertise, you have the raw materials and natural resources, so let's work together for the benefit of the European Union. And you can, and you know, and in, they they say that it's win-win for everybody, but it's obvious what the relationship is no change after the last 500 years so you had that um and that so and, and what the 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 china latin america infrastructure conference was about was continuing the development of these enormous infrastructure programs that china is implementing across the region and 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 they they, they stretch uh, right down from 
from uh, Argentina right all the way up to the Caribbean and Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad and Tobago, you hardly ha hardly ever figure in discussions about these issues of the relationships between Latin America and the Car uh, Caribbean and China, um, at the United States and uh, the European Union. Trinidad and Tobago is a small Caribbean island nation, but they they are getting tremendous benefit from the relationship that the region has developed with China, especially in terms of infrastructure. So then look that, that so, so 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 that's China and Latin America. Um, for in, in terms of, of, of that particular issue. But sticking with that issue, yeah, we've just had the St. Petersburg, the 26th St. St. Petersburg International Economic Forum um, that started on June 17th and ran for three or four or five days. Um, and a total of you know, this is this is isolated Russia. This is Russia that the United States and its European allies say is isolated from the world. Well, 130 countries attended the St. Petersburg summit, um, and they uh, reached agreements totaling something like 45 billion dollars worth of of of, of activities. Um, and so, what does that mean in terms of Latin America? In terms of Latin America, the the the, the the outright participation of binational governments was, uh, would, the, from what I could gather, was mainly um, Brazil, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Bolivia. But there will have been many um, representatives from other countries, for example, like the Dominican Republic, Panama, uh, Peru, uh, Guatemala. Other, other countries will have been taking part through their private sector in the St. Petersburg um, International Economic Forum. And what does that mean in for, for Latin America? Right? And let's look at the example of Nicaragua. What that means for Nicaragua is that Russia has uh, uh, committed itself to very significant infrastructure investment, in particular in support of, it's not the exclusive developer, but it's going to offer absolutely crucial support to the, the development of Nicaragua's um, deep water Caribbean port uh, at Bluefields on the Nicaragua's Caribbean coast. Um, and at the same time, they're also uh, going to offer important support for uh, an interoceanic railway connecting that uh, new deep water port of Bluefields to the port of Corinto on uh, Nicaragua's Pacific coast. They're producing what they're calling an intermodal interoceanic rail link. And so, you know, that's, that may be second best for the moment because for whatever reasons, probably to do with the reaction of the United States. Nicaragua and China aren't going to go ahead immediately, but they will eventually, with the proposed interoceanic canal. So what 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 ha happened at St. Petersburg is a kind of interim solution enabling um Inter intercontinental interoceanic traffic but using a rail link to um, to very uh, to, to uh, important deep water ports and that's going to be very very important for the economies of other countries like Cuba Venezuela the Caribbean in general and it's difficult to see you know what how the United States and and, and the European Union are going to uh, are able to do anything by way of matching that kind of absolutely crucial infrastructure development, and it's not just it's not just for Nicaragua. That's that is going to be a, a tremendously important resource for the whole Central American region. And at the same time that that's going on, going back to our China infrastructure conference that we were, that I was talking about at the beginning, China is going is going to has, is making commitments to completely. Uh, overhaul Nicaragua's um, highway system, especially in the north of the country, to enable much better connectivity with El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And so, you have you have Russia and and China uh, acting in a way that is absolutely transforming infrastructure for countries like Nicaragua, not just Nicaragua, but countries like Nicaragua, small countries that don't have the resources to manage the, the, those kind of giant infrastructure programs that they need. Um, so China and Russia are providing that, and the European Union comes along and offers 
essentially peanuts to uh, to Latin America to do stuff that's helpful to the European Union, but not necessarily to Latin America. I'd like to thank you guys again uh, for uh, giving us your time this week and look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. For KPFK, I'm Don DeBar. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. If you have an EVT card, you need to know about skimming. Criminals rig ATM and credit card machines to steal your personal information, your benefits, and your cash. Don't be a victim. If a machine looks damaged or unusual, check the device twice. This is the Kingpin Shaheen from Legendary Infinity 4FCs giving a shout out to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. Y'all out. Angela Birdsong, and you are listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Yes, we are in our membership fund drive, and we have this special premium of over 1,000 hours. Wrap your ears around the largest and most comprehensive collection of historic audio ever compiled by Pacifica Radio Archives, and it's now available for the very first time on a single USB memory drive. For a donation of $250, you will receive the voices that changed the world. I would just be curious just to know what the voices are on there, right? The voices that changed the world? That's a powerful title. So, they, like I said, they have it's 11 categories on there. They're, you know, from the vault, volumes 1 through 6, 65 years, 65 voices. Black History, Women's History, Audiobooks, Grammy Restored Recordings, Pacifica and Politics, Radio Arts, Student Free Speech Movement, Religious Studies, and so much more. There, there's a lot on there. This is something that you want to get for yourself, your children, your grandchildren, your family. And like I said earlier, $250, you know this is going to grow in value because this is historical um, archive information, voices that changed the world. So go to kpfk.org, pledge securely online, or call 818-985-5735 and press number two. L.A. County's Innovative Breathe Guaranteed Income Program announces an expansion to include support for former foster youth from the Department of Children and Family Services, DCFS. The program will award 200 randomly selected qualifying former DCFS foster youth 
$1,000 a month for two years, recognizing the unique challenges faced by individuals transitioning out of the foster care system. The expansion aims to provide essential resources and assistance to empower these young adults as they navigate their path towards independence and success. The Los Angeles, Los Angeles County Supervisor Lindsay P. Harvath quotes, says, quote, the expansion of L.A. County's Breathe Guaranteed Income Program to include former foster youth makes it one of the longest running and largest in the nation with $40.8 million in direct payments, end of quote. Former foster youth interested in applying can find more information and view a full list of applicant requirements at breathe.lacounty.gov. The enrollment period started yesterday, June 20th, with the deadline for applications on July 3rd, 2023. Selection will not depend on the timing of entries. Applicants can apply online or use a mobile phone, computer, or tablet for assistance and in-person applications and questions. Applicants can call 323-736-2122. That's 323-736-2122. Program information is available in Spanish. The Apple weather forecast for this first weekend of the summer in North Hollywood at KPFK 90.7 FM shows highs at 70s. And at our sister stations in Southern California, low 70s in San Diego and Santa Barbara with low 90s in Ridgecrest, China Lake. Here is today's international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere with Polina Vasiliev. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are today's international highlights from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. The European Commission has unveiled plans to restrict how EU countries invest and trade with outside countries, particularly China. The 27-nation bloc has been coming under pressure from the United States to take a so-called firmer stance towards Beijing, but experts warn it's a risky strategy. Jerome Hughes has more. The European Commission is proposing a 10 billion euro fund to develop strategic technologies in order to become less dependent on high-tech imports from China. It also wants to block EU nations from dealing with China when it comes to so-called sensitive technologies. The claim is that it's to reduce risk. Risk to supply chains, risk to critical infrastructure, risk to technology security and leakage and risk of economic coercion. It would appear that positive ties being advanced outside of the West's control are putting Washington and Brussels on edge. We must be equipped to protect our economic security and economic interests from the actions from some other countries. Trade between the EU and China is worth an incredible 2.3 billion euro per day. Some analysts believe the US is trying to scupper this vital economic link. The United States are the masters of the European Union. They are masters of Europe. That's the order of things after the Second World War. And there is a NATO, which is an alliance that dooms the European Union to be a small brother. During recent European Parliament debates, lawmakers have heavily criticized the EU's policy towards Russia and China. The fallout from energy sanctions against Moscow is severely harming EU citizens and businesses. At a time of dire economic pressures, the European Commission wants to prioritize the government in Kiev. On Ukraine, here we propose a financial reserve for the next four years of 50 billion euro. Analysts say vested interests in the United States are benefiting most from deteriorating EU-Russia and EU-China relations. EU leaders are due to hold a summit at the end of next week to discuss the Commission's trade proposals. It's already clear there are major concerns in member states because current arrangements with China are so lucrative. It's reported some EU countries believe the European Commission is overstepping the mark. A new report shows that 165 human rights activists were murdered during the five years that President Jair Bolsonaro governed Brazil. Telesur correspondent Brian Meir has more. Well, President, Jair Bolsonaro and his allies from Big Agro encouraged violence against groups like landless rural workers and indigenous people in Brazil. 
A new study released this week by the NGOs Justicia Global and Terra de Derechos documents violence against human rights defenders during his presidency, like the case of MST settlement coordinator Jose Severino in Pernambuco. In 2019, we occupied land in Jordao, and I was beaten. I was kicked in the face and blacked out for about five minutes, and the guy next to me was shot in the head. But thanks God it wasn't a homicide, but we suffered a brutal attempted homicide that we in our settlement in Jordao that day. The study documents 1,171 cases of violence against human rights defenders, including 169 murders. It accuses Bolsonaro of treating indigenous people and landless rural workers as central enemies to his government. It recommends that President Lula implement the actions defined in his transition team's plan for defending human rights activists and calls for structural reforms to eradicate conditions that lead to violence. This is an important study which shows the grave conditions suffered by human rights defenders during the last four years. It's important that agrarian reform is implemented for family farmers and rural workers to better protect human rights defenders. Brian Mir, Telesur, Pernambuco. In Venezuela, the government has presented a geopolitical map of sanctions to social organizations and the diplomatic corps. Details with Telesur. In Venezuela, the government presented a geopolitical map of sanctions before social organizations and the diplomatic corps. Venezuelan Vice President Delcy Rodriguez, Foreign Minister Ivan Hill, and Vice Minister of Anti-Blockade Policies of the Ministry of Economy, Finance and Commerce, William Castillo, headed the presentation. During the meeting, a group of friends in defense of the United Nations Charter were also present. Vice President Rodriguez pointed out that the distinction between sanctions and unilateral coercive measures helped to understand how they were formed and against whom they were implemented. Furthermore, Rodriguez stated that the map is an instrument to study the sanctions imposed against 30 countries. This distinction between sanctions and unilateral coercive measures led us to study how they were formed, against whom they were applied, and what they were aimed at. Hence, the need for this geopolitical map of sanctions. Here we are studying the 30 countries that are victims of these instruments, of this mechanism contrary to the international law. In turn, Venezuelan Foreign Minister Ivan Hill pointed out that Western powers implemented sanctions against Venezuela since the presidency of Hugo Chavez. Although since 2017 we have seen a practice of formalization of sanctions, our country has been besieged with sanctions almost since the very moment in which Commander Hugo Chavez in 1999, by mandate of the people, acceded to power and with him the people of Venezuela. The first sanction applied has been all the media campaign that has been applied against Venezuela against this revolution and against the Venezuelan people from the large centers of powers and from the large world media. On the other hand, Vice President Delcio Rodriguez stressed that unilateral coercive measures have become a very sophisticated form of economic warfare. I say that these unilateral coercive measures have become a very sophisticated form of economic warfare because globalization, ICTS, the use of ICTS and digitalization has allowed the economy blockade to be within reach of the press of a key. Immediately as the press of a key, Venezuela was absolutely excluded from the SWIFT system, which is the international financial messaging system. The British Parliament has begun pushing a bill which aims to ban boycotts of Israeli products in support of Palestinian rights. The move has been met with widespread condemnation, not just on moral grounds, but as an attack on freedom of speech. Press TV's Robert Carter has more. The UK government has introduced legislation to Parliament which proposes a total ban on boycotting Israeli goods. The proposed legislation will prevent public bodies from adopting their own approach to international relations, including through sanctions and divestment campaigns. Universities and local councils are likely to be most affected, with critics saying this is the latest assault on freedom of speech in Britain. 
the right of uh, organizations and authorities and so on to withdraw their money from uh, inhumane and illegal projects. You know, that should be an absolute right. And it's we're also seeing, not only in terms of the BDS, but we're seeing the government restriction of the right to protest, you know, with the Public Order Act um, really accelerated into implementation last week. What we're asking for as a British public is sanctioning Israel. We'll ask for international law to be upheld. If any other country was breaking uh, this many laws this frequently on an international level, sanctions will be placed upon them without doubt. So we're asking for level playing field here. International law to be applied to Israel, sanction Israel now. Why should that right to protest, to peaceful democratic protest, why should that be withdrawn from us? And it's another indication of an increasingly authoritarian tendency from our government. The boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, also known as BDS, is the main target of this government plan. A Palestinian-led initiative promoting boycotts and economic sanctions against Israel amid ongoing crimes against the occupied Palestinian people. The movement has grown so popular that governments across Europe have been working to curb their activities. The UK's effort is spearheaded by well-known pro-Israel British MPs, particularly Michael Gove, a government minister. Gove, who has a long track record of praising Israel and has been accused multiple times of Islamophobia, has said that disruptive campaigns to boycott Israel lead to appalling anti-Semitic rhetoric and abuse. Monday saw the first of what will be many readings before a later debate and vote will take place. If the bill does indeed pass into law, then offenders could face significant fines or investigations. Pro-Israel groups have welcomed the legislation, while at least 70 civil society organizations have opposed it. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasiliev. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. What it is, KPFK? I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News community calendar. Join Black Women for Wellness to celebrate men's health, discovering strategies and empowering insights. Thursday, June 22nd at 7 p.m. on Zoom. For information about Black Women for Wellness or to RSVP for this event, go to bwwla.org. Brother to Brother, a caregiving support group that allows Black men to talk through challenges faced while caregiving and provides resources to help navigate their caregiving experience. It is a safe place to share feelings and concerns that caregiving may cause. Join them the second and fourth Thursdays, 3.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. RSVP to Jim Kelly at 562-712-3254. That's 562-712-3254. And find more info at alzheimersla.org. And search Families, Services, Support Groups. All Alzheimer's LA support groups, programs, and services are free. Women of Watts and Beyond is hosting its 20th annual Stop the Violence March on Saturday, March, June 24th at 1827 East 103rd Street in Los Angeles. The event starts at 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. and the march begins at 11 a.m. Email events at sheriseford.com for more details. Community Movement Builders presents the National Black Radical Organizing Conference from Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th in Jonesboro, Georgia at the Chateau. Also on June 25th in Washington, D.C., there will be protests demanding Biden to take Cuba off the list of state sponsors of terrorism. There will be a big rally at the White House coinciding with local protests across the country. For more information about these events and more, go to blackallianceforpeace.com under Get Involved. Meet up with Positive Results Center for their Our Free Art, Healing, and Leadership Cohort for teens ages 13 to 17 every Thursday from June 22nd to August 10th 4.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Beehive, 961 East 66, 61st Street in Los Angeles. 
Get more details at PRC123.org. Submissions for the 2024 Pan-African Film Festival are officially open with an early submission deadline on June 30th of this year. And the official closing date is September 1st. The extended deadline to submit for shorts and web series is October 1st. Featurettes on October 5th and features on October 15th of 2023. The 32nd Pan-African Film Festival will take place in Los Angeles from February 6th to the 19th, 2024. Additional information about deadlines, submission rules, regulations, and eligibility is available on filmfreeway.com forward slash the Pan-African Film Festival. KPFK Radio Pacifica presents Primitive Biodiversity of Mexico, a fine art exhibit of Metzli Ruzani from Oaxaca using ancestral techniques. Open to the public daily now until the end of June from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at KPFK 3729 Cahuenga Boulevard in Studio City. 2023 Inglewood Musical Musical Music Festival Featuring Pete Escovito and family, Loose Ends, Sugar Hill Gang, and several more musical artists, Saturday, June 24th at Darby Park in Inglewood. Go to inglewoodmusicfest.com for more info. Free summer outdoor concerts open to the public every Saturday from June to September in the heart of downtown Los Angeles in the California Plaza. Times vary from 6 to 10 p.m. and 6 to 9 p.m. Get more information at grandperformances.org. Standing for Black Girls is holding a press conference to amplify the issues raised in the Los Angeles City Human Rights and Equity Department's March Violence Against Black Women report. Calling for more funding and support for black women and girl-focused prevention, education, mental health, and direct service organizations. The press conference is Thursday, June 22nd, 10 a.m. at L.A. City Council District 8's Constituent Service Center, 8475 Vermont Avenue in Los Angeles. Check out womensleadershipla.org for more info. Coming to Catalina Jazz Club in Hollywood is a tribute to Barbara Morrison with the Sam Hackens Project, Barbara Morrison's Boo Crew Band, and special guest Margaret Love, Thursday, June 22nd. Go for more information at CatalinaJazzClub.com. Metrolink's new low-income fare program is now available, offering riders a 50% discount on any Metrolink ticket or pass, which allows for free transfers on participating transit agency services in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Ventura counties. To qualify, riders must possess a valid California EBT card. No further application is needed. Tickets are only available for purchase from Metrolink ticket machines. This pilot program is set to expire on August 30th, 2023, or once funds are exhausted. Go to MetroLinkTrains.com for more info. The Let's Behold program is giving away free bags or organic produce every week on Wednesdays, 12.30 p.m. in Lamert Park Plaza, 4395 South Lamert Park Boulevard in Africatown. Check out Let'sBehold.com for details. Join the Curtis Tucker Center for Community Wellness every fourth Tuesday for their weekly free produce distribution, Tuesday, June 27th at 123 West Manchester Boulevard in Inglewood from 9.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Parking is available, no ID required, and no eligibility or paperwork is needed. To find food pantries near you in the USA, go to foodfinder.us. To locate a Los Angeles Tenants Union meeting in your area, online or over the phone, visit latenantsunion.org. If you need support on your um, anti-racist journey, join BIPOP Ship on Zoom. On Thursdays, check out marypendergreen.com. For mental health resources, crisis support, helplines, and warm lines, go to NAMIUrbanLA.org. 
under resources. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions, and you've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you for keeping KPFK strong, an independent source of music, arts, news, and information. Remember, it's our fund drive. A donation of $25 gives you the right to vote in our elections. For a donation of $250, you'll get the right to vote and the Voices That Change the World premium USB flash drive that has about 1,300 hours of historical speeches of revolutionaries, visionaries, and activists who worked for the betterment of our country, of our world, of your city, compiled by Pacifica Radio Archives. Like I said before, you want to get one for yourself and for your family and for your local schools, your your local neighborhood, just to name a few places and folks that you want to gift this one-of-a-kind um, gift compiled by Pacifica Radio Archives. Go to kpfk.org and pledge or go to 818-985-5735. Follow the prompts, press 2 when you call in. Remember, our brand is our mission. We are a progressive media outlet, challenging corporate media perspectives and providing a voice to voiceless communities. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, and all Rebel Alliance News contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. And coming up next is Feminist Magazine.